Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Now, I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode. I wanted to do something special for number 100, and that was it was super, super fun. I hope that you liked it. But we're back in the saddle today to continue our series on the 10-step execution process. And what we're going to be doing today is we are going to be talking through steps four and five, which is scheduling and purchasing. Now, you might think like, you're really going to make me listen to a podcast about scheduling and purchasing product? And the answer is yes. Like, we are because these are really powerful things in making sure that a job goes correctly. But just to recap really, really fast, you know, if you want to hear the last couple episodes, you'll be able to be caught up on the series. But in the 10 step execution process, it starts step one in the showroom. We have to be able to identify the customer's problem and give them a path to solving it. Step two moves on to the estimate at the customer's house and providing them that final quote. And then the baton gets passed to step three, which is the sales follow-up. Now, what we talked about at the end of last week's episode is that when a salesperson is following up with a customer after they've placed a deposit on their product, we have to get the job greenlit before it can go any further. And the criteria for greenlit is four things, that before a job can move on to scheduling, it must, number one, have a deposit placed on the product. Number two, the order must be reviewed with the client and documented. Number three, we need a signed scope of work. And finally, number four, we need a job walk form with pictures. At this point, the salesperson emails the scheduler or the installation coordinator and says, hey, this job for Bob and Sally Jones is greenlit. We are ready to schedule it. So today we're going to talk about what does the scheduler need to do? Do I order product first or do I schedule first? We're going to talk to you about this and, and the answer that we give you, it might be crazy. I mean, like I, I get pushback on this when, when I talk about it, but it's a really big deal. Most often when it comes to scheduling, we make a couple of mistakes. We don't have enough of a sense of urgency on getting the schedule full because we are waiting for information but because there's no deadline on when we need that information by, we don't have any type of a target or a date that we're trying to move towards with our schedule, we're very lackadaisical and we lose days as a result. So we're going to talk about that in detail in today's conversation. Now, after a job is scheduled, it goes to purchasing. And for many companies, purchasing is a shared responsibility. Maybe it's, you know, every salesperson purchases their own product. It could also be, though, that you're an owner or a manager wearing a lot of different hats and you purchase products some of the time, but then you also estimate, you also sell. We're going to talk today about what a big deal purchasing is. And I understand that some companies are very small, so this may not be able to be a full-time position. But I would say as your company is growing, like if you're getting to the point where you're starting to be oh, I don't know, I'm going to throw this out there, but I'm going to say 10 to 15 team members. If you're somewhere in that range, you should probably have somebody purchasing full-time. Now, if purchasing is truly not a full-time job, this is a great support staff position. So they can be doing other things on the administrative side of your business of collecting paperwork, providing you with dashboards and scoreboards. But purchasing is a big deal. And because we don't focus on it, 
things get delayed and backordered and you know life is tough for us and our customers. So in today's conversation, we are going to go into detail as to how we schedule it and how we purchase it. We, we don't want to lose days. And sometimes we can just be so lackadaisical with the schedule that, man, we, we have time just flying by and we don't want that. Now, this is tough when we do these episodes because we can only do so many steps per episode. But one thing I want to point out is that while today's conversation is specific to steps four and five, which is scheduling the installation and purchasing the product, step six is incredibly important, which is the way that we receive product and stage the warehouse. And these three steps, steps four, five, and six, scheduling the install, purchasing the product, and then receiving and staging are a link in an interconnected chain. And I will say that this chain, these three steps are the most powerful in the process to set you up for failure if they are not interconnected and communicating constantly, okay? So even though today's conversation is not going to cover step six, they're all interconnected. We're going to talk next week about why that is because scheduling affects purchasing, which affects receiving and staging. But then there's going to be times where, wait a minute, it's backordered. So it goes back to purchasing. And if we can't secure the product in time, it goes back to scheduling. There's a back and forth here where the person that does scheduling, purchasing in your warehouse, they need to be connected at the hip. And maybe that's not three people in your company. Maybe that's two or maybe that's one. The principle still applies. So I'm going to jump out of the way and let you hear this conversation. I'll tell you that out of everything we talk about in this series, this one might rub you the wrong way the most because there's a challenge to the way that we do it. And we're going to, we're going to highlight what that is. So I'll step back and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Grant Falco. Joining me once again from Spokane, Washington is Grant Falco, co-owner of Falco's, co-founder of the Firetime Network and writer for the Firetime Magazine. How you doing, Grant? I'm doing great, Tim. I like that. Uh, I like that. I keep... I like that. I keep adding to I know, your title I know. every, every time, time it's a little bit different. I like I like that one the best. Co-founder of the Firetime Network, uh, loosely a writer in the magazine, I'd say. Um, and yes, co-owner of Falco's. But I'm excited to be here, Tim, once again and uh, start talking about these execution steps again. Yeah. You know, so just to give a quick recap. So there's a 10-step execution process that we're talking about of how do we run a perfect job from the showroom all the way through the installation to the thank you at the end. And so far, we've covered steps one one through three. Step one is what happens in the showroom. We need to identify the customer's problem and then give them a plan to solve it. We then move on to step two at the job walk and the final estimate. After we do that, we go to step three, which is the sales follow-up. And at each step along the way, the, the biggest thing that we're doing is we're managing expectations. We talked in detail about that, about how the, the person going out for the job walk is not just going out to measure for a wood stove. They're going out to confirm that this solves the problem and manage expectations. When it goes back to the salesperson for the follow-up, they're not moving on to the next sale. No, they're, they're reviewing it with the customer to manage the expectations. And at the very, very end of the last episode, we talked about handing things off from the salesperson who's just followed up with the customer that placed a deposit and giving it to the schedule team. And in order to do that, the salesperson has to have a job greenlit. So when a customer places a deposit for a job, a salesperson has to make sure that four total things have happened. One, we take the deposit, obviously. Second, we've reviewed the order with the client and we've actually read verbatim the scope of work to the job. 
Third, we've received a signed scope of work from the customer. And then fourth, we have a job walk form with pictures that came from the estimator. Once we have those four things, the job is greenlit and the salesperson can email the team member in scheduling and say, hey, let's go ahead and schedule this job. It's greenlit. So as we move on to talk about step four, which is schedule the installation, I want to highlight a problem, Grant, that you've talked about with this. And, and this is one of the biggest problems with scheduling, and that is that we wait for information before scheduling rather than setting a target, and we lose days as a result. No question. It's not an exact science. I think that, you know, it is not the, it's not easy to, to, to change the mentality, but you have to have a target to aim at. Your purchaser deserves a target to aim at, or... Tim, you, will you give me the analogy because I butcher it every time, but something to effect of projects take as long as the time we give them? Oh, yeah. It's the Parkinson's principle that that any task will fill the amount of time given to it in general. So if, if I was to tell you, Grant, hey, um, you can remodel my showroom and you've got a budget of $30,000. Like, how much are you going to spend? $30,000, maybe, maybe $35,000, right? If I say, you know, hey, Grant... I mean, we've done this literally. Hey, Grant, I need you to write an article for the Firetime magazine, and it's due in six weeks. When does that article get turned in? The night before, right? I mean, it, it, it takes it takes six yep. weeks to do it. Now, it we've had this happen as well, yeah. where we say, hey, Grant or Tim, I need an article in the next 48 hours. How long does it take to do that article? Well, it gets done in 48 hours. That, that things expand yep. to take the amount of time given and budgeted to them. That's the principle. And that, in essence, is the problem. There's two different ways to look at how your business is ran. The money you take up front, deposits and sales, or actually invoiced numbers. And, and if you're truly looking at the right part of your business, you're looking at invoice numbers. How much, how much are you installing per day? How many units per day? How, much, how many dollars are you installing per day? Or what's most important? If we take a lax approach, a reactive approach of waiting for product to come in, it's going to come in in six weeks. But if you schedule it out, you know you don't have it in stock, so you schedule it out four, guess what? You'll get it there in four weeks. And that is what is so important. In order for a schedule to fill up, in order to go from one cruise to two, two to three, you got to fill that schedule up and see where it's at. Now, you have to have an intentional coordinator, like we said earlier, who is a bulldog, who has an easy system with ratings that can maneuver that schedule up up and back all the time. I mean, you wouldn't believe the email pings going back and forth, constantly managing the inventory coming in for the future installs. The secret sauce to this is what happens when you get two weeks out, which we'll talk about because the staging has a huge part of making sure scheduling is actually done right. Yeah, dude, you're exactly right. And one thing that I want to highlight with this, I mean, it, this is shocking to say that you schedule the install before purchasing the product. I was actually just talking about this. Uh, where was it? It was in Colorado uh, a couple weeks ago. And I literally talked about step four, schedule the install. And people were like, no, 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 you mean order the product. And I said, no, 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 schedule the install. We'll figure out the product. And I want to I want to nuance this and ask you specifically about how this plays in during the, the COVID situation that we're in. But I believe that the principle actually still applies, that, that we schedule the job because now we have a target to aim at, right? Now we have a target to aim at. Without a target to aim at, we've got nothing and, and things will just, they'll fill up. Yeah. 
So Grant, when it comes to scheduling, I want to hit a couple things. So we talked about this last episode that we need to have a job rating system. And you talked about how jobs need to be rated based on difficulty and attractiveness. And your system was a really simple system that was an R5 through 10 based on difficulty with an A, B, C, or D at the end based on attractiveness. So like an R5A is a simple job that's very attractive and an R10D is a very difficult job that's not very attractive. And what you want to do is you want to get all of your different installation scenarios on a piece of paper with a job code next to it and then rank your installers based on those scenarios. So I asked you this, I think it was last episode, Grant, like, you know, how much installation knowledge and and specific knowledge about what the helper can do versus how much experience this lead installer has like how much of that does the scheduler need it's zero like zero zero. and that's and that's preferred because the scheduler's job is not to know how to install the fireplace in the same way that you know if i'm a I don't know if I'm like a, a surgery assistant, my job is not to be able to like perform brain surgery. My job is, is to assist the, the surgeon with what they need. And, and, and the same thing applies here that when you create this coding system, you can hire someone that does your scheduling. That's a coordinator that coordinates the schedule. And Grant, we keep using this word. They are a bulldog. They are relentless to fill this thing, to move stuff around, to pull stuff off, to put it back in. I mean, they are relentless and that's what their job should be spent doing. Not saying, well, you know, we're installing five, eight pipe in a wall thimble. And I think that, I think that Bill can do this. You know what? I'm going to call up our estimator to see if, if Bill can do this. And then you, you don't get a hold of the estimator and then you forget about it and something else happens and a day goes by and you miss it. Yeah. You know, I think that I, I do understand. And I think there's there's many ways to skin this cat. And I think that scheduling is uh, ahead of time is reckless. I think that's what a lot of people are thinking. You know, like, how could you do that? That How could that be what's best for the customer? And I think if we go back to what we're trying to do, when we're trying to sell a product to the consumer, we're trying to also sell it to them as fast as we can so that we get them out of the marketplace. And one of the biggest advantages Falco's has is we run four installation crews, hopefully a fifth, and we are reducing how far out we are. So a big advantage to Falco's and the reason we've been able to grow in season and scale is because I use that installation as a carrot. So a customer comes in, I solve a problem, they're still, I give them a price, uh, we're going through the first couple steps here, we get to the part where we're about to schedule a bid. What we do at Falco's is we take a $500 deposit, fully refundable at that time, and we schedule them. But why? Because we're solving their problem. And we also are managing expectations by asking a series of questions. And if they're looking at a product that my sales team know is not in stock or or is in stock, we will schedule according. So it's not like we're just scheduling if it's four weeks out, four weeks without actually verifying certain information. And it's because we're solving the consumer's problem, asking questions and have more information when we are getting that bid estimate. So a big part of having a shortened schedule and being able to put them on the schedule is hooking them in. Even if you have to move them back because the product is unavailable, maybe another week or whatnot, they're going to stick to the schedule because they're out of the marketplace once you go on the schedule. Yeah. So one thing that I want to ask you with this, it just getting really, really practical. So we've talked about how a scheduler 
needs to have information in front of them as far as ranking the difficulty of the job versus what your installers are able to do. The next thing is people are always pushing back saying like, especially this year, well, you know, stuff is 12 weeks out. You're telling me to schedule the installation before I order the product. And my thing is, yeah, because if you know it's 12 weeks out, just schedule the install 13 weeks out. Like it's not that hard. You know, if, it, if, it, if, it, if, if, it, if you can get a product within two weeks, schedule it in three weeks. If you can get the project in four weeks, schedule it in five weeks. And, and if you're, if you truly, if you literally don't know, like you can't even say 12 weeks, 14 weeks, don't sell it. Like that's the answer. Don't sell it. And I just don't, I don't know what else to say besides that. Cause if you book it for say 13 weeks out, well, you, you've got time to look at it. So if you see the ETA changing, you can always call the customer and move it. But but doing that, again, now you've got a target to aim at. Now you're looking at that job. Now you're holding manufacturers accountable when they write you and say, oh, it's going to be backordered. You can say, look, I got an install schedule. What can you do for me? Like, this can't be backordered. And I'm not saying that's going to guarantee you're going to get the product. But I am saying that sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And and if, and if you're aware of those things and talking with manufacturers and distributors, it's amazing how you can find product. It doesn't mean that, you know, it magically appears, but you know what? Maybe we're going to order it from this distributor rather than buying it direct because we want it done in time. You know, maybe we're going to find a way to get it from another dealer or there's, there's a lot of things that you can think about and start to innovate with when you've got a mark to aim at. But when you don't have that mark to aim at, it's just, you're just lollygagging around. And you don't even know if it's a problem. I mean, if you're just waiting to order and then scheduling and it's taken four weeks to get something or four weeks to even get an answer, you're, you're waiting on that customer and you're not getting anywhere. And it's not solving any problems because you're the, eventually going to get the information, then you're going to schedule them. You're probably going to get the job, but you're not getting any better. Uh, my purchaser is scratching, clawing for every ounce of inventory at every second. She's coming to me saying, should I pay expedited freight to get this installation? Heck yes, I'm paying expedited freight. You know why? Because it costs me way more money to push oh, to that lose job. that day? You yeah. want to effectively manage your business from outside in. Yeah, exactly right. And like, there's a mentality that you have to have. We do not lose a day. There is no, there's no acceptable reason to push a job and not fill it with another job. But you have to put your team in a position to do that. We do not lose days. And if we do, we have backup things that are investment worthy, like on the showroom that we'll, we'll do. But the mentality has to be there. But the process, the framework, and the information also has to be there so that coordinator can maximize that job. Your scheduler or coordinator is a better term should have a move up list. And the move up list is going to be attractive jobs, or I mean this year maybe it's just it's just jobs that are in stock. But but part of your sales follow-up with a customer and even the scheduling call mm-hmm. is going to be setting the expectation that jobs move up and we'll let you know if it moves up because things are really, really tight. So so you've got this backup list that again, like if if you gotta push a job back, which we'll talk a little bit about that in in the next step you've got a list to pull from and again it's not a perfect science stuff does fall through the cracks but i've worked for companies that that sometimes treat the schedule like you know i mean there's there's no sense of urgency to it we lose days like you know left and right it's like they're going out of style and and that's not what we want because we never get that time back and you know if you've got the choice to pay the expedited freight or to fill your crew up for a day i mean at some point, you, you don't want to pay the expedited freight every single time on the job. But man, if it's a one-off situation, and, and, it's, and I know that it's this year where product is scarce and I want to fill my crews, like, I'm getting that job done today. Now, 
in this step of scheduling, there's a few different things. Um, first off, the scheduler's job or the coordinator's job is to verify that the job is greenlit, right? And Grant, if the scheduler gets the email from the salesperson, they take a look at it, and the job is not greenlit, meaning that one of those four steps is missing. The deposit hasn't been taken. It's not documented that they reviewed the order with the customer. They don't have a signed scope of work, or we don't have job walk notes. If any one of those is missing, what's the scheduler do? Do they call the estimator and say, hey, can you send me the notes for this? I'm trying to get it scheduled. Do they call the salesperson and say- No, they don't do that. They, they don't do anything. They don't do anything because they're not the people that are, are, are in the- They're not the ones to get the information. They simply- put it back to the sales team. They reply and say, this is incomplete. I will proceed once it's complete. So good. And you're not doing them any favors. Like, I mean, anybody that's in the coordinating position, you're not doing them any favors if you're going to go overboard and try to help them solve those things because they'll never get it right. Yeah. But if you send it back every time, guess what? They'll start to get it right every single time. So do not do them a favor by tracking down the information that they should get. Yeah, Patrick Lincioni talks about the difference between being a capital J jerk and a lowercase J jerk. Like this is where the the, the coordinator's allowed to be a lowercase <laughs> J jerk. You can't be a capital J one, but they're allowed to kick it back and say, I'm sorry, this is incomplete. I can't schedule it until it's green light. Yep. Okay. If you're an owner or a manager and you don't have time, because you have so much on your plate, you don't have time to to do the job walk form or or whatever it is, what's the answer? Don't sell. Yep. Don't sell. If you like if you're too busy to to do it right, don't do it. it that obviously means that you can hire somebody to do it. But right? I mean, you 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 either are are slow enough that you can sell on the floor and and follow the process or you're so busy that you don't sell yep. and you hire somebody to do it. Those are the choices you have. Yep. And I'll just tell you right now, it's better to have three of you following the process that are maybe close to as good as a salesperson you are than one of you or two of you not following the process. Uh, your success yeah. at the end result when you're at the installation or done with the installation will be far greater as, as, as if you follow these steps up front. And we do find over and over that the owner expects others to do it and not themselves, then don't do it because you, you have to put yourself in a position to be able to manage that. And then if you aren't able to, everybody's going to follow suit and not do it as well. Yep, totally. And one of the things we've talked about this with companies is that let's say that the owner uh, does this, they send a job in, it's not greenlit. The scheduler is allowed to kick it back and say, Hey, I'm sorry, I can't schedule this. And if the owner, oh, yeah. if the owner says, schedule it the coordinator is allowed to say are you telling me this as a salesperson who i can say no to or are you telling this as my boss who can fire me now if the owner plays the owner card and says look i'm your boss i can fire you do it well okay you, you got to do it as the coordinator but but that distinction is really powerful because it makes the owner have to admit i am breaking the system yep and 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 you know, you can decide what you want to do with that. We all make mistakes. So like, I mean, yeah, if they kick it back, I'd say most of the time the owner can just say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, let me go and I'll track down that those those job notes or I'll make sure I get that deposit and send it back to you. But over and over again, emphasize that the framework is more powerful than the knowledge or the talent that you do have. And that's what's so crazy about this 10-step execution process, Tim. I am extraordinarily confident that if a business figures out how to utilize these 10-step execution system in their business and they follow it, 
they will not have the problems that they're encountering today. Now, is it get rid of all the problems? We know as you step up in leadership and you get better, you encounter more problems, but it gives you a platform in which to continue to solve those problems and get better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole thing is like this, this allows you to shine a light on the problem. So this is going to solve a lot of problems. And if you run this, it's going to solve a lot of problems permanently, but you know, it's not perfect. The whole thing though is like, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. If you have nothing to aim at, you're never going to be able to get better. But now again, just think about what we've, what we've covered so far in the different steps of the expectation set in the showroom, the estimator going out to the house, the salesperson following up, right? I mean, how many gray hairs would have been saved if the scheduler would have said no to scheduling it because they didn't have a written and signed scope of work that had been reviewed with a customer, right? I mean, how many times have, have we scheduled without that and, 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 and woe to the day that we did the install because of it, right? Yep. So, so again, there's still going to be problems. There's still going to be mistakes, and that's okay. Like, no business is perfect, but we are able to get better. And it's a lot funner. I don't even know if that's true, but, but as a business leader it is better to solve bigger picture problems than these tiny ankle biters that always keep us at the shallow end of the pool. Yeah. Like we want to make a difference. We don't, we don't want to just be wondering like, man, you know, I, I thought that we were venting it out the sidewall and the customers mad at us. Cause we, you know, they thought we were venting it through the roof. Like we can solve that problem by one time initiating this system of we review the scope of work with the customer. Yep. Okay. So next up is, is before we move on to the next step, the coordinator of the schedule, they need to schedule within 24 hours. So when that deposit is placed and the salesperson reviews the job with the customer, the, the coordinator needs to schedule it within 24 hours. And I'll, I'll speak from some experience here. There was times where because we were trying to track down, oh, wait, where were the job notes? And wait, did we have the deposit actually? And all these different things, sometimes three, four, five, six, seven days would go by without the customer getting a call. And and if that customer's dropped a deposit, I mean, you know, you, you don't take a huge deposit in your company. We, we took a, a big one. We took a 75% deposit. So like, you know, customer drops a $6,000 check and the salesperson's like, oh yeah, we're going to call you soon to schedule it. And then a day goes by and there's no call. And then two days goes by and there's no call. And then three days, there's no call. And four days, like every day that goes by, that customer starts to get more and more nervous. And I have, I have seen customers come unglued just because we didn't, we didn't call them in a timely manner. So th- this is a big deal of setting that expectation. I couldn't agree more. You know, we are selling small cars, the amount of money that people yeah. are spending. I mean, our average sale, especially with price increases this year, is going up and it is a major commitment. Uh, they deserve to be handled in a, in a timely manner. And if you think about the consumers we're dealing with, and Tim, you talk about this all the time, what are they used to? What is the expectation? It's ASAP and convenient. I mean, Amazon, yep. all these companies have set the bar of it being simple and they shouldn't have to wait a week to get it on the schedule. And really, I believe it should be scheduled at the time of deposit if all the things are already greenlit. And we can talk about that more, but you shouldn't waste any time to get that scheduled uh, and then on to purchasing. How do you navigate that like with product delays and every everything else and making sure that the job is actually greenlit? Well, I mean, there's a million things that go into it. Uh, but first of all, seasonally, it's, ha- it's handled differently. When we're in the season and our schedule goes out six weeks, 
it really doesn't matter. We put stuff on the schedule. We verify in stock or not in stock. And then we have a running kind of weekly list that's given ETAs right now. So we're saying how far out this is, how far out this is, so that uh, support staff can schedule based on what they find in the system of in stock. Okay, if it's in stock, we put it on six weeks because we're six weeks out. But if it's not in stock and it's saying eight weeks, we put it out eight weeks because that's what makes sense. Now, in the off season, it's a little bit different because we can't rely on the schedule being out so far and we have to do a little bit more work up front. But both our sales team and our support staff, if they do their job right, they should be working together to make sure that we are scheduling that in a time we believe can be met. Yeah. And then they, they we move on from there. You know, Grant, so one thing, one thing that you said that's really important is an updated weekly list. So in the same way that the, that the coordinator needs to have a job rating system they need to have updated ETAs on at least the best selling the best selling product and that's got to be on a weekly basis like we'll, we'll talk about this next when we talk about our purchasing step but but your purchaser whoever's doing it needs to have a weekly call with your distributors and manufacturers to to update this yeah so Shelly and I my, my purchaser we meet every Tuesday at one o'clock and it's called our strategic meeting and we review those things what are our current lead times uh, do we anticipate this getting worse getting better uh, we work through all those things to try to share simply because there is information out there, but unless you're putting it in front of the people, they won't access it or, or be able to. And uh, ETAs right now are everything when it comes to scheduling. And we have a lot of inventory in, in stock, but you can't have all the inventory in stock. So it still has to be managed to a certain extent. Yeah. So before we alert purchasing, the scheduler verifies the job as greenlit. They schedule it within 24 hours. And then finally, number three, they use a call script. And Grant, I mean, you guys are so good at this. I'd love you to talk about this. Like consistently setting up the job the same way every single time is absolutely critical, right? It's absolutely, it's everything. I mean, I don't want to micromanage anybody, but but a microscript is a micromanaging entity. Like it is. But it's absolutely necessary. And the reason is because it's verbal. And if it's verbal, it can be misconstrued. It can be not remembered. It can be all these things. And what is so important for my business is to know that these call scripts are being utilized the same way every time. So that when I'm dealing with someone saying that we didn't do X or Y or Z, I can say, but we do this every single time. And John, did we do this? Yes. Okay. And, and it holds it accountable. So using a call script just allows you to know that certain things are done every single time the same way. Yeah. And again, you can make this call script whatever you want, but it's got to be documented. So again, like maybe it's bullet points. I don't know if it necessarily needs to be like a an entire paragraph, but you've got bullet points that I go over the same information every single time with the customer. And then I document it in the system. We covered this, we covered this, we covered this. And again, in this call script, it should be reviewing the scope of work. Like even though it was done by the estimator on site, even though it was done by the salesperson at the follow-up, review the scope of work again. Hey, we're going to be coming out to install this fireplace. It's got a remote control. It's got a two-story chimney kit on it. And here's the scope of work that our estimator wrote up. I'd just like to read it to you and just make sure you don't have any questions about it. Okay, like read that whole thing. Put put the the date in the schedule, and I I mean you could also ask about you know who's going to be available on site for payment. You could do that at the confirmation call as well. You're starting to set every single one of those expectations, and using a call script is going to allow you to do it consistently. Now, after we talk about scheduling the job, we move on to purchasing. We'll get back to our conversation with Grant Falco in just one minute. 
Hey, if you're listening to this series and wondering, okay, I understand these steps, but how do I put it all together? You've got to take advantage of coming to one of the fire time workshops in 2022. This is something that we've talked about for a long time, right? The question is, how do we take what me and Grant do on a blitz trip when we, when we go into a business and reduce the price and also bring in an aspect of communal learning and this is it so we have a limited number of spaces for dealers at our west coast and east coast workshop where you'll be able to come in and be paired up with a non-competitive dealer where together you can learn in a face-to-face environment with me and grant and some other experts that we have coming in to help and by the end of this workshop you will have a roadmap of what to follow in the coming months and years for your business so if you've ever asked the question like Okay, they talk about this in the podcast. How do I do it? I know this has got to be possible, but I just can't get past it. This is how you do it. We have a West Coast workshop that's hosted by AES in Seattle, Washington that runs from May 1st to 3rd in 2022, and an East Coast workshop hosted by Ray Murray that's in Lee, Massachusetts from May 8th to 10th in 2022, and we can't wait for you to be there. Here's the website to sign up itsfiretime.com slash workshop. That's itsfiretime.com slash workshop. If you're thinking, I don't know if I can afford it. I don't know if I can do this. I'm just going to read you something from my friend, Kurt Felgemacher after Grant and I came out to his business. He said, coming from the chimney sweep side of the business, we felt we needed true expertise in a roadmap on how to become a successful hearth retailer. After searching for years for help in everything from sales, showroom design, inventory, and product strategy, we finally feel like we have a comprehensive plan going forward. You can do the same thing. We cannot wait to see you there. Go to itsfiretime.com slash workshop and sign up. Now, after we talk about scheduling the job, we move on to purchasing. And this is a big deal. For, for many companies, they may not have a full-time purchaser, and that's okay. It might be the owner that, that takes it on. It might be a couple people that share it. But purchasing is a big deal. And, and one thing I would say is I would encourage, if you're a business that each salesperson purchases product independently, I would consider moving away from that to having some kind of centralization in purchasing. It's going to make your life a lot easier as you grow. But the scheduler, the purchaser, and then step six, which has to do with the warehouse, that is an interconnected chain that is so incredibly powerful. We'll talk more about the warehouse next week. But for now, Grant, let's talk about the purchaser. The problem is generally that we're not communicating enough and the result is that product gets delayed. No question. I mean, especially if we don't schedule an install date, there's no there's no reason to check on the inventory. There's no reason to to be the squeaky wheel. Yeah. There's no reason. So getting it on the schedule is absolutely vital. And then the purchaser has a target to aim at. Like we talked about earlier, you're not going to hit the target if you have nothing to aim at. So I think product being purchased in a timely manner so that you're not, you know, uh, wasting any time getting it and then communicating it. I think that's really the root of this is communicating any changes in a timely manner when you purchase. I think that's absolutely vital. And I think that this step is where major communication breakdowns happen within businesses because they might have set a schedule. They might think they have everything coming, but they forget the one part that was emailed to them that would be backordered, but they still move forward with it and they end up not having the part for the job. That can't happen. 
just because you scheduled the install doesn't mean that that happened. This is a question for you, Grant. Sorry to interrupt. But so like, let's just say, so you have a full-time purchaser, but let's say that you're a business where, where it's not someone's full-time job, but they, they do most of the, of the purchasing. How often are the purchaser and the scheduler talking? Oh my gosh. 30 times a day. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I'm not joking. Like seriously, like, so we, we, when we go to the two weeks out and, and we will talk about yellow zone and red zone here, once we get down to the two weeks, the sales coordinator and uh, purchaser are all on a revolving circle email that is about all the pick sheets and what every job is and what we're missing and why we're missing and when the ETAs are coming in. They are literally managing it all day long from warehouse to purchaser to coordinator, from warehouse to purchaser to coordinator every single day. And we'll even update that pick sheet, whether it's changed or not, just to make sure everybody understands this part is still not here. Their communication, their synergy is what can truly make or break a business. And it's the only thing that will allow you to go from, let's just say a $2 million business to a three and a half million dollar business. So one thing I want to ask you, so I want to kind of break down purchasing a little bit, but if, if you are, are doing this as let's just say you're an owner and, and you're busy, you're, you're, you're being stretched pretty thin. Would you still say that despite how busy you are, the purchaser must have a weekly call with your major manufacturers and distributors to be on track with with the top selling items? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of different ways you can do this. I don't think it's something that you have to manage weekly because I'll tell you that ETAs don't necessarily change on the weekly basis, although we're in a different temperature now. I do think it's absolutely crucial that you have some idea of what is coming in and when, contingent on when your jobs are scheduled. So uh, having ETAs, having that stuff figured out, maybe meeting every other week, but at minimum twice a month. Yeah. I mean, it's so valuable for everybody because again, you're going to be moving stuff in the schedule based on that. And I would say, you know, a sacrifice that we make with scheduling ahead of time is that we do move stuff around, but that's okay. Like, because even though jobs will get moved around from time to time, I am convinced that we'll get more work in quicker and more efficiently by scheduling ahead of time as we talked about. But the purchaser is kind of the guardrails on that, right? You don't just schedule it five weeks out and forget about it. You schedule it five weeks out and the purchaser's got that schedule in front of them. They're coordinating with the the person that's scheduling installations to talk about this. You know, another thing when it comes to purchasing, I'd like to ask you this because I have I have worked for companies where and we were smaller businesses, but where all the salespeople did did purchasing. And I would just ask you from your perspective, like, why is it important to have purchasing centralized? Because purchasing and selling are both hard. And they're both full-time jobs. Hmm. Even if you are a million dollars in business, if you're over a million dollars, you need to have someone who is not selling purchasing. And I don't know if you can put the purchaser and coordinator together or, or you know, owner purchaser together, however you want to do it. But the purchasing is a full-time job. And if you effectively want to be good and grow your business, and th- Tim, that's something that me and you have to remember. Our mentality, everything we're talking about here, if you want to just stay where you're at and you're comfortable, that's fine. 100%. Do, do what you're doing. We're, we're, not, we're not saying to change it. I don't, that's, that's great. But if you're trying to grow your business, if you're trying to create more freedom for yourself, if you're trying to make a better uh, workplace environment for your team, these are the necessary things. And the passion behind it comes from, these are how you and I have been yeah. able to get from A, B, and now to C and D in our steps of, 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 of running a business. So 
coming back to, you know, just purchasing in general, it comes down to a mentality similar to the coordinator. You're a bulldog. Yes, you have the guardrails up, but they're letting people know as effectively as they possibly can when things are coming and when we need to change. And with our yellow zone, red zone, which I'll have you explain and then I'll color or kind of add in on, once we get down to it, then it gets down to the nitty gritty. But man, this 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 role is extraordinarily important. It is. You know, and as I as I think about it, I, I really believe that the number one job of the purchaser is communication. I mean, I, I think that's probably the number one job, isn't it? Because the 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 purchaser is communicating very often, multiple times a day with the scheduler. They're communicating multiple times a day with the warehouse person who we're going to talk about next week. And they're communicating multiple times a day with your different vendors that are out there. And and you want to have a purchaser that has an eye for detail. You want to have a purchaser that is zealous for over-communicating. And they're always looking ahead. They're looking at that schedule. They're talking about, you know, this this project. What are we going to do for this? Hey, where's this on the schedule? Okay, you got to keep your eye on this. I'm going to let you know tomorrow. You might have to push that thing back and pull this up. You know, this is a this is a, a team effort, but but that purchaser needs to be able to, to communicate like no one's business. Yeah. And you as an owner have to put them in a position to be able to communicate as effectively as they possibly can, especially now more than ever. Every single person that has a purchaser in their business, I can tell you their workload is four times what it was last year. Yeah. Four times. Why? Because instead of having 10 open orders, guess how many they have right now? A hundred. And if you had a hundred, you got 300 open orders. Why? Because stuff isn't coming in in a timely manner. Stuff is delayed longer than ever. And then you're getting you know, fake ETAs because they keep changing. Uh, the, 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 the position is extraordinarily difficult, deserves some grace, but yeah, communication is everything for that person. Like you said, to the manufacturer, to the supplier, to the salesperson and to coordination. It's just absolutely vital. I want to ask you one, one thing before we end this today about the purchaser. And, and this is specific to where we are right now in COVID land where demand is, is crazy and there's no supply of anything. So, if you're a business right now that doesn't carry a lot of inventory, and you know, I I I I believe, and I, I hope I'm wrong, but like I believe that the next eight to twelve months will be the hardest that we've had as an industry in the last twenty years. I think that they're going to be harder than two thousand eight, and I'd love to be wrong about that. But the reason why I, th- I think that's the case is that a lot of dealers sold through the majority of their inventory during twenty twenty to to survive manufacturers laid people off and they never recovered from it. And not only did they not recover, but demand has absolutely skyrocketed. So there's very little product. Uh, Many manufacturers haven't communicated very well with their dealers. I I was talking to a a sales rep the other day that calls on um, a large part of the country. And that sales rep asked me, they said, Tim, do you think that most retailers are aware of what they're about to get hit with? And I said, no. And he's like, wow. Like, it's about to get bad. Like, we think it's been bad. It's about to get bad. Now, I don't say that to just be like doom and gloom. I think that there is a way through this. But but if if we have been a company that hasn't been, you know, aggressive with the way that we purchase and, and doesn't call to check on, on our jobs and stay in regular communication, we're in a world of hurt. So I want to ask you, if, if you're listening to this now, if you're a retailer that doesn't have a ton in inventory, you you pretty much rely solely on your distributors and manufacturers. When it comes to purchasing this year, what would you do if you have a manufacturer that's saying, 
you know, hey, we're six months out. We, yeah, like, like let's say, let's say we're in September and we don't have product to install. And someone's saying, hey, we're 14 weeks out. What would you do as a purchaser? I've been working really hard the last 12 months to not be in that position. So being in that position, I haven't given a lot of thought. Um, I would look at every avenue of diversification that I can, starting with brands. If I was you know, a, a purchaser, I'd be looking at different opportunities of people that do have product in stock. And I'd also look at other products to, to sell and install simply because we are in, um, we're in a really difficult time. I mean, Agreed. I haven't been doing this forever, but I'm, I'm on my 19th year and their demand in 2003, four, five, six doesn't equal the demand that we're in, uh, going through right now. And the scarcity has never been like it is before. So A, you have the manufacturing supply issue, but you also have the delay in shipping issue. And that is even a bigger one because it creates all this unknown. You think something's coming in in March and all of a sudden it's not coming in until July. So if you find yourself in that position right now, owners, purchasers, you have to get on the horn and you have to find the distributor manufacturer that can yeah. take care of you. There are a few manufacturers out there that do have some supply. Uh, I think if you are diligent about calling around, finding, I think there's still time, but you guys... If you're not on this right now and you wait till September, October, there's not going to be any inventory. And if you don't know that right now, listen to this and make some phone calls and get that figured out. One more thing, Tim, that I want to say about the purchaser, you mentioned communication is super important and that is 100% true. Being diligent in their communication is absolutely vital. But when we were talking about this, I kept thinking, you know, what Shelly is the name of our purchaser and she is amazing. If I was to tell you why she's amazing, it's not just because she's an awesome communicator. It's because she holds my manufacturers accountable. Oh, over oh and over so good. And over again. Whereas if we're salespeople or doing other things, we don't have a chance to be the squeaky wheel, but that, that lessens it. Um, I can't tell you how many times she double checks pricing and makes sure that we get quoted the right pricing or the freight that we shouldn't get freight on, but we got it. I can't tell you how much money she saves on a monthly basis by being our accountability police with our manufacturers. And that is a huge factor of why Shelly is so good at what she does. And if you don't have, if you share the responsibility, it's just purchasing. But you guys, it's not just purchasing. It's so much more. And honestly, like the more I think about it, uh, I believe the purchaser could be paid for as a sole job because of all the savings they would give you by holding your manufacturers accountable, whether it ETA, whether it freight, whether it the cost of the units that you paid for, you bought before the price increase, but they forgot and accidentally charged you the new price. Uh, she catches all those things. And, and I, 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 I thank God for her every day for that. So good. Okay. So, so far we've covered steps one through five. We've talked about in the showroom. We've talked about when the estimators out at the house, the sales follow up. We've talked about scheduling. We just hit purchasing Next episode, we're going to move on to talk about staging and receiving, and this is a big deal. But Grant, thanks for being here, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, Tim, my pleasure as always. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I love diving into this because every single time, even as I have the conversation, as I listen back to it, I get something out of it. Now, a few things that I just want to hammer home as we round this episode out is number one, the mentality that we schedule before we purchase. 
Most people disagree with this, but it's what we have to do. We schedule before we purchase because now we have a target to aim at. Zig Ziglar said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. If you don't have a target to aim at, I guarantee, I guarantee that your jobs could have gone in before they you actually scheduled them. I just, I guarantee it. And I know that things are crazy right now in the COVID world that we're in. Supply issues and delays are very legitimate. And it's going to be a difficult year for a lot of companies. But you don't schedule blindly, right? The, 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 the scheduler has a, a list of ETAs of the top selling product. And you schedule based on that list, right? So I'm not saying that like you schedule everything in two weeks because you don't know when it's coming in. But I mean, if you've got reliable suppliers, like, I mean, historically, you should know if a product is four weeks out, 12 weeks out, 16 weeks out, like you just, you should. And like like I said, if the product is truly more than 12 weeks out, I would highly consider switching the customer to a different product and getting it in the schedule. Uh, We can talk about that later, but it, that's a real thing. And I think you have to do it a lot of the time, but the scheduler is not scheduling blind. They just have an idea of the ETAs on their products. And because there's a target on the horizon, now we're looking at it. So now as we see Steve Smith and Kathy Jones jobs coming up, we can look, you know, in the weeks ahead and say, you know what? I don't know if this product's going to come in. We've got to talk to our manufacturers about this, right? We have a target to aim at, so we're moving towards it. And then as we get closer and closer, we can say, you know what? We're kicking this one back. So based on the information we have available at the time, we kick that job back and we push it in the schedule. But I'm telling you, having it in the books forces us to have our eyes on it and we're working towards it. And it's amazing how innovative your team can be to find product, to move things around, to make a job go when it's constantly in front of them versus I've been in businesses where they've got all this stuff sold and they've only got like two weeks worth of things on the schedule because, well, you know, we had to wait till we had it all. We had to, we had to, you know, make sure that we knew when the product was coming in. We had to wait till it shipped before we scheduled it. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that because then your eyes are off of it. You're not looking at it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. We never scheduled this. Oh no. Okay. We got to try to get this done. But the customer, you know, we, we never set the expectation. They're on vacation. Schedule it early. Okay, next up, when it comes to purchasing, you know, for many companies, you may not be able able to have a full-time purchaser, and that is okay, but as soon as you can, you you really want to have somebody that owns this. When salespeople do their own purchasing, their eyes aren't on it, so just like the scheduler has always got to have their eyes on the upcoming schedule of work, the purchaser's always got to have their eyes on the upcoming schedule of work and okay what's the ETA from this vendor what's the ETA from this vendor and there's going to be emails going back and forth all the time between the person that's purchasing and the person that's scheduling a salesperson is just it's it's they're too busy to be able to have their eye on purchasing and as a result stuff doesn't come in stuff doesn't you know we don't change vendors if if you know this piece of vent pipe isn't going to come in on time this is a big deal and and Grant hit it on the head when he said why can salespeople not purchase their own product? Because sales is hard and purchasing is hard. And it's too hard for one person to have their eye on both. It's, it's, it's totally true, right? It's that idea that like, what is it? The, the, the man who chases two birds catches none. That, that's kind of the truth. So when it comes to purchasing, you want to have somebody that is not a salesperson doing it so that they can keep their eye on the prize. 
So if you have questions about how to do this, you can write in. As always, at the end of the season, we're going to do a Q&A episode, and there might be some questions about this. Sometimes people will say, like, well, Tim, obviously you're talking about a big company because you have one person that does scheduling and one person that does purchasing and one person that does the warehouse. No, no, no. Like, I'm not talking about a big company because you can condense these roles. Like, the same person can do purchasing and scheduling. It's going to be tough, but they can. What I'm saying is that the same person can't do sales and scheduling and purchasing. You really want to separate those roles out, in particular, keep sales separate from purchasing and scheduling. Now, going back to what we talked about before, if you've got a job rating system where we rank our jobs based on attractiveness and difficulty, well, now the scheduler doesn't need to know anything about technical specs, about installation, right? They just need to know how the job coding system works. Grant highlighted it, that you want your purchaser and your scheduler to be a bulldog. You want them to be tenacious, right? They are exerting their will upon the schedule and upon your vendors. And again, they're not being a jerk, but they're properly holding vendors accountable and they're properly setting expectations with customers. And if something's not coming in, we're moving it. We're moving something else into it because we're not going to lose a day. Now, there's a lot to think about in this conversation, and I would highly encourage you to listen through it with your team and just think about, okay, how can we start to break these roles up? When it comes to purchasing, you know, sometimes salespeople don't want to give up this control. Like, oh, wait, that means that if a customer comes in on a Friday and I want to will call something from the distributor, it might mean that it's going to miss Tuesday's truck. Yeah, it, it might mean that, honestly. And, and this was really tough for me as a salesperson when I had to give up control of purchasing about eight years ago, but it's better in the long run. Jobs go smoother, customers are happier, and you know what? Yep, there's going to be every once in a while where something could get ordered right now, and it doesn't. But it, it, it's better for everybody. And in those rare instances where it has to happen, you can go talk to the purchaser and see if they can make an exception for you. But the point is that it's a purchaser that is doing that work, not a salesperson. Now, If this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash itsfiretime. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash itsfiretime. The money that comes in goes towards outsourcing the administrative duties of this podcast so that we can keep the level of content as high as possible. So as we head out today, I, I want you to know that the things we're talking about are difficult. They're not easy. They're going to actually force you to look at your business differently, but the payoff on the back end is that you can start to solve problems permanently and get above it. So as you go out today, I want you to know that the work you're doing matters and most businesses are too busy doing quote unquote important stuff to work on the difficult tasks of making their business better. So I hope you have an amazing rest of the week. And as always, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by InBloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into buying.